If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you bow your heads with me? Apparently, the prophet Isaiah is more organized than we are, Holy One. He must have been finished with his holiday shopping, which is the only reason he's bellowing, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. We assume that he bellowed it anyway. It's hard to read tone. But to be fair, this doesn't seem like something would say in a whisper. The truth is that we identify more with Isaiah than we let on. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Like Isaiah, we could use some help around here, and we're desperate enough to ask for direct divine intervention. Yes, to quiet the raging violence that threatens the whole world, but also to still the conflicts that we cannot seem to settle in our own hearts. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. We couldn't have said it better ourselves. Since Isaiah seems to have the yelling covered, perhaps a whisper from us will do. We could use a stronger sense of your presence, Holy One. We need justice that is not delayed nor denied. Love that puts our neighbor first and peace that surpasses all our understanding. So will you make yourself known to us, Holy One? Lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom, as the hymn says, and keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step, enough for me. With hopeful hearts we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, 
I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Zachariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years, you know? <laughs> the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had had a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. We are going off lectionary this Advent. Instead of the suggested gospel texts for year B, which bounce around three of the four gospels, we are going to stay in the Gospel of Luke, who felt confident he could give us an orderly account. To tell the story, scholars believe Luke drew from the eyewitness accounts of others, and to that, scholars add the Gospel of Mark, as well as a source that they call Q, which is a collection of Jesus' sayings. Luke is sometimes identified as the first Christian historian, and as theologian Christopher Matthew writes, there is truth to this claim. 
as long as one recognizes that crucial distinctions that separate the methods and the goals of ancient historiography from those of its modern counterpart. Luke's historical interests are clearly subordinate to his theological vision and pastoral agenda. He starts by situating us in the days of King Herod of Judea, which is another way of saying that it was definitely not the heyday of the people of Israel. Luke also explains that this was a time of deep difficulty and challenge by starting the story with the metaphor of infertility. The Bible uses the metaphor of infertility at what seems like every turn to represent various times in the life of God's people when there seemed to be no way forward. It is a powerful metaphor and also problematic. From it has come a strange claim that infertility is connected to sin and specifically to the sin of women. So if you have been told that your infertility is because you aren't praying hard enough or aren't obedient enough or aren't good enough, that is a bunch of bunk. It is nonsense. None of those things are connected to seeing a positive pregnancy test. It is certainly not what we find in scripture. Elizabeth is one woman in a very long line of biblical women identified by infertility, including, but not limited to, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, the mother of Samson, Hannah, and the woman of Shinum. In none of those stories is sin said to be the cause of infertility. And the often, the text goes out of its way to recognize that these women were particularly faithful. We see that about Elizabeth. If you've heard otherwise from someone in a pulpit or in a Bible study, that message was about control through shame and it isn't for you. Infertility is a heartbreak and a heartache and that's it. Because this is a place of practice, this part of the story provides a moment for us to commit to taking extra care of each other in a season when we tell stories of surprise pregnancies and birth announcements. And we trust that love will see us through. If this is a tough season because the story seems to be all about a baby, please hang in there with me. I am a big, big fan of Jesus, but I am convinced that most of the stories we have about him are not actually about him, but about the people around him, people like us. And in this case, the people in the story are weary. At least Zachariah is, bless his heart, and I do not mean that in the traditional way. <laughs> I say it in genuine sympathy care and concern. Here he is minding his own business, doing his job, fulfilling his responsibilities, when an angel of the Lord appeared to him. I mean, you heard the story. The angel announces that Zachariah and Elizabeth should expect the arrival of a son, which should be good news. But the text tells us that Zachariah gets stuck on, well, a very practical problem of age. How will I know this is so? 
for I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. And I wonder, though, if there's more to this story. It's possible that Zachariah may not have wanted a kid at this point. They could have prayed for one earlier, but maybe those prayers had stopped. I know that's not a popular thing to say. Everyone is supposed to want to have children, but not everyone wants to be a parent, and being child-free by choice is different than being child-free by circumstance. So we might entertain this idea that Zachariah didn't want a kid at this point. Those who are child-free by choice are often thought of as selfish, but that usually says more about the person making the accusation than its target. In an article on the declining birth rate in the U.S., Alex Williams of the New York Times noted that when people consider not having children, it's not about just wanting more sleep. There are many factors they are weighing. While economic concerns remained paramount, with 64% citing the high cost of childcare, 37% cited global instability, and 36% domestic politics. To some, those issues are all rolled together. While spiraling housing costs and college debt burdens factor into family planning for many, existential threats, too, are now part of the procreation calculus. A rise in political extremism at home and abroad, a pandemic that has killed more than five million, thousand-year floods that wiped out Western European towns, West Coast wildfires that grow more unimaginable in scale each summer. Faced with such alarming news, some prospective parents wonder, how harmful might it be to bring a child into this literal and figurative environment. It's possible that Zachariah had felt the same way in his time. It's possible that he was a little bit relieved that he and Elizabeth hadn't been able to conceive. After all, the political and social realities weren't great. They were an occupied people. The most recent uprising had resulted in violence that lasted well after the last sword was put down and the last rock was thrown. The soldiers that came after were there not just to restore order. As theologians Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan describe in their book, The First Christmas, the legions from Rome came not only to fight but to punish as well. When we are finished with you this time, they said, we will not have to return for at least a couple of generations. To try to raise a child in the middle of all of that? Perhaps it was not so bad that they had not been able to conceive. It is quite possible that it was a relief, even in a time when reproducing was about survival and family security, even in a time when family planning options were more limited than they are today. But it is also possible that Zachariah and Elizabeth did want a child, despite it all. It is possible that they did want a baby, and this announcement from the angel should have been the best news Zachariah had received in a very long time. He should have been elated, perhaps ditching the angel before the message was finished to run and tell Elizabeth that their long-held dream would be realized. But as we heard... 
That's not what happened. How will I know that this is so, he asks. And the angel is not impressed with Zachariah's response. The angel does not want to hear Zachariah's speech about the odds of successful geriatric reproductive activities. <laughs> so the angel makes him silent. It is important to note that Zechariah is not silenced because he dared to question the divine plan. There are several other examples in scripture that tell us otherwise. The most significant happening right after this episode, when the angel delivers news to Mary that she will have a son, she responds, how will this be? Rather than silencing her, the angel describes how things will come to pass. And the difference, it seems, is that Mary responds to the angel's impossible news with curiosity, and in contrast, Zachariah wants certainty. How will I know this is so? But I wonder, though, if there was more to the story, if there was something else going on with Zachariah. As with every story in the Bible, we don't know exactly that this is how, exactly how it happened, but we know that this story is true. So it's possible that not all of the dialogue between the angel and Zechariah was passed on and that Luke wrote it down. If we use our imaginations, actually, if, if we just use our real-life experiences, it's not hard to know that it's possible that Zechariah simply could not receive any good news in that particular moment. He was too worn down, worn out, Weary. I wonder if that's where some of us are in this particular moment, worn down, worn out, weary. As Reverend Cecilia Armstrong observes, we can be weary in various ways. We can be weary because of our age. We can be weary because of our waiting. We can be weary because we have seemingly faced the same routine for years and seen nothing change. That weariness can lead to a loss of hope, which is really dangerous. As Professor Brene Brown cautions us, we need hope like we need air. To live without hope is to risk suffocating on hopelessness and despair, risk being crushed by the belief that there is no way out of what is holding us back, no way to get what we desperately need. Hope is not what most of us think it is. It's not a warm, fuzzy emotion that fills us with a sense of possibility. Hope, hope is a way of thinking, a cognitive process. And this is a reminder that we are supposed to bring our brains to church. And this is to be a place where head and heart are equal partners in faith. While Zachariah experienced uh, what Zechariah experienced next was a complete disruption in his routine, a time of silence. Old patterns and long-held habits were no longer possible. He could not communicate in the same ways. And it's likely that this is actually where and how Zechariah recovered his hope. Hope, Professor Brown explains, is a function of struggle. We develop hope 
not during the easy or comfortable times, but through adversity and discomfort. Hope is forged when our goals and pathways and agency are tested and when change is actually possible. This season of silence for Zachariah, it was an opportunity for him to form new neural pathways, to learn new ways of thinking, to relearn how to hope. Less talking, more thinking, less talking, more listening, less talking, more doing, less talking, more hoping. The details are pretty sparse as to what actually happened during that quiet season. The story changes scene almost immediately, switching to Mary and her visit from the angel. And by the time the camera goes back to Zechariah, it's nine months later, John the Baptist is being born. But it's clear at this point that this time of silence has reshaped Zechariah's heart and mind, for hope has returned, and we hear it in the prophetic benediction, the prophetic song that is in the text. But we also know that Zechariah found his hope because of the kind of kid he and Elizabeth raised, the kind who devoted his life to preparing the way for the one who changed everything. That's the other thing about hope. It's learned. According to C.R. Snyder, children most often learn the habit of hope from their parents. To learn hopefulness, children need relationships that are characterized by boundaries, consistency, and support. Children with high levels of hopefulness have experience with adversity. They've been given the opportunity to struggle, and in doing that, they learn how to believe in themselves and their abilities. While John the Baptist is often cast as a wild, raging grumpy pants, one does not cry out in the desert about repentance, as the text says, to turn the hearts of parents towards their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord if one has no hope of those things happening, you would just stay home. And John the Baptist did not stay home. Hope would not allow it. Our story reminds us that hope is recoverable. Weariness does not have to have the last word. We can experience weariness and also insist on hope. But it does take some effort and definitely takes the silencing of Fox News and MSNBC. Yeah, MSNBC, I said that. <laughs> There's no chance of finding the way forward if we are inundated all the time with news of how bad the other side is. If our attention is frozen on the talking heads, it's really difficult to join hands to work to make things different, much less join hearts to imagine a just and peaceful future. 
Beloveds, on this first Sunday of Advent, the story is inviting us to examine our hearts, to see if they've become stuck in a way that has made it impossible for us to receive good news, impossible for us to hope. So if we need to start by each day finding one thing, just one thing that is a sign of life, one thing that might possibly be a seed or a sprout of good news, then that's where we start. One moment of hope, that's all it takes. Oh, and when you find that one thing, you've got to point it out to someone else. And remember, as St. Francis encouraged us, we are to preach the gospel and only use words if necessary. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.